0: Amen. Church, you may be seated. Um, I'm going to preach. And then after that, John's going to preach. And then Donna's going to give a testimony. Julie will give a testimony. Mark Guy will come up and give a testimony. And uh, hopefully that'll get you to about six o'clock tonight. And then uh, you, it'll be like church when I was growing up. You'd, you'd be there all morning long. You'd go outside and eat and come back in and do it the rest of the day. Uh, those people had an endurance that I don't ever want to see again, but uh, some of you feel like that's when I preach, it's kind of that way, so uh, Lee, you should bring your lunch, uh, but it's uh, it's great to be here together worshiping and uh, have a chance to give Jesus the credit and glory and honor that he deserves, and so y'all feeling warm, well, uh, amen, now you know how I feel every Sunday, and uh, so uh, I don't know, we we always have something going on around here, so I wish I was, uh, I wish I was like Pentecostal. I could blame it on the devil, but I think it's just a regular AC outage. And, um, so, uh, you'll just have to endure, right? Uh, some guys are probably on the roof right now, even as we do this. And, um, so, uh, I don't know. I can't promise you anything, but try to make it. Uh, some of you may have trouble. You may nod off a little bit. Uh, that's what your wife is there for, to prod you and keep you going. Okay. Um, hope you're staying as safe as possible and uh, taking care of yourself physically and health-wise. Um, we know that in this life we have no guarantees of everything uh, working out perfectly like we had planned. And uh, so I hope that you're you're doing that, taking care of one another. Uh, pray for one another. Pray for our businesses in town. Pray for our churches. But most of all, pray for an open door for the gospel witness in these days. Uh, it is our privilege this morning. We have uh, John and Donna Avant with us. Uh, some of you remember John from, oh man, it's been a couple of years ago now, I guess. It's been a while. And uh, John's a, a great friend of our church and uh, churches across America, really. And uh, we're thankful for him. He's the president of Life Action Ministries uh many of you remember we got interrupted last year uh for, for with covid and uh, but god still did a great work here and we're so thankful for that and john's also been vice president uh john i'm, I'm gonna just do this from memory i think it's prayer and spiritual awakening at north american mission board something like that it's a big title uh so john has has done that as well and he's pastored some some really superior churches in america and uh, we're just grateful that he is here today uh john's specialty is that he loves jesus and he loves donna and uh but he comes and talks to us about revival a lot he god has uh, given him an extraordinary opportunity to see the move of god and the hand of god moving among god's people and in communities and towns and um so he's he's seen god move in some great ways firsthand and so we're thankful that he's here today john i'm going to pray for you and then uh, i want you to come and just uh impart to us god's word will you do that for us thank you Father, thank you so much for John and for Donna, and we pray your blessing upon them. We pray the movement work of the Spirit of God upon their ministries and upon their marriage and upon their work with others, other believers and others that do not yet know Christ. And this morning we um, ask you, Father, that you take your servant and use him for the honor of your kingdom and for the name of your son. And, Lord, we pray that you would use his voice as your tool to stir in our hearts let your word reign supreme in us lord where we are resisting you because of our own sin i ask that you by your grace and mercy would break that down in our lives that our hearts and lives will be completely yours now father unto you be the glory and honor and praise through these moments we pray in jesus name amen amen thank you brother
1: well good morning it is great to be back with you guys, and um, Don and I were talking on the way driving in uh, uh, this morning from the hotel of how the Lord kind of partnered us up a few years ago, and then uh, and then uh, the the summit this year. And of course, a really strange time for you, for everybody, and you know, our for our teams coming off the road in in the middle of the pandemic. Just very very strange, uh, odd days. Uh, you know, right before. Uh, the pandemic started. We had seen a tremendous outbreak of revival, uh, in East Tennessee and it was making national news and, uh, and continuing for weeks that, uh, with a very simple event that Don and I, uh, helped to lead and, and God just broke loose long after we left. And, uh, I started thinking, you know, 2020 may be the year of spiritual awakening in this country. And then, <laughs> and then COVID. And the response of the church to COVID, I'm going to be real honest, has frightened me. It's it's scared me. Um, I'm looking out of the number of people here. I want to encourage you guys. You are far, far, far above the national average uh, of where churches are coming back in attendance from COVID. And I know there's people that that shouldn't that shouldn't be here today. There's a lot of people that should be here today. Okay, there's a lot of people that should. But something is happening in the church in America. And after seeing this revival outbreak in January and February, uh, March and April were very tough for me. I was saying, Lord, uh, have you given up on us? Are, it, uh, are we headed for, for judgment and, and our last chance has come? But I, I don't think so. I think so. I don't think so. I think this is what's happening. I, I think that that the the cultural Christianity part of the church is now dying forever. I don't think it's coming back. Um statistics that will be coming out in a new book, the author, are showing that about 30% of people being surveyed who were active in churches before are saying we're not coming back. If they, vaccine, COVID, whatever, we figured out we really don't need it. The computer, if we ever need, you know, need a little little boost, you know, as, as if the gospel is only to make us feel better, you know. We can do that, but we're not coming back to church. So we have maybe 30% of the church in America that was active is now unchurched. But there's no reason today to be in church, wearing a mask, knowing, you know, knowing there's always risk when you come out of your home, there's always risk. I'll talk about that in a moment. There is no reason to be in church, worshiping with your brothers and sisters. No reason to be in a small group studying the scriptures unless you love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. That's what he told us to do. And you know what? God can take um, 11 people like that, cowards, deniers, (laughs) and change the whole world. He did it with a group called the disciples, right? And he can do it again with a, a whole lot more than 11 here. And I'm excited about what that might mean. I believe this could still be the year we look back on and we say, we hate what happened. We hate this virus. We hate the lives taken. We hate the what it did to all of our lives. But we might look back on these days and say, you know, in many ways, that was a beautiful virus. Because it called the church to truly be the church again. But that all depends upon our response. So maybe we kind of take up where we left off a little bit. I know y'all are going to finish your summit. We'll we'll have a team back uh, back here. We're excited. Don and I have just been with our teams. We're training. We're training with our, our teams are training. Uh, right now we've got pretty much a full schedule for the fall. It's crazy. We didn't didn't know what to expect, but our teams are headed back out. We'll get a team back here with you. But I don't want to wait for that. I want to talk to you today about how you could experience revival in your own heart before you leave this place. I don't think God is stingy. I think he wants to revive you. I think he wants to do something in each heart here together today that would make a difference in this church that would last forever. So I've entitled the message, The Beautiful Virus. You say, that's a tough title for a message. There's just not much beautiful about this virus. Let me talk to you about viruses for a minute. My brothers and I. And so uh, we've talked a lot about uh, this virus and, and the whole pandemic and what it means and uh, and what's going to happen. And my brother has taught me about viruses. It's been very helpful. Uh, and this, I didn't know this. Most viruses do no harm to us at all. Nothing. There's millions. Most of them are not harmful to us in any way whatsoever. Um, there's there's also a virus that we might call the evil virus. There's a, not that many of them, but some of them. And they do us harm. And then there's something that we're learning as medical science. We're learning that there are some viruses that are actually vectors for healing and health and life. They don't bring death. They bring us life. We didn't know that until, until recently. I began to think about what my brother was teaching me and this thought hit me. That's, that's a lot like the church in America. Most of the church in America has been kind of an apathetic viral movement. You know, all viruses do is spread. They just multiply. They're not even really alive. It all depends upon the host. Virus is just a piece of RNA. It all depends upon the host. And so in America, most of the of the hosts for the viral movement of the gospel have just been kind of do-nothing kind of viral movements. So we've got the apathetic church across America. Some... Churches across this country have represented more of the evil virus and the Lord has taken their candlestick away. There's going to be many churches that'll, that'll not reopen, that'll go away in the next year, that'll never come back again. And that's already been happening in churches that left behind the word of God or left behind evangelism or for whatever reason fought and fought until there weren't enough of them left to fit into a closet and they all just got in there and fought it out to the end. Sometimes God says, this church is no longer a church. It's like an evil virus and it needs to go away. But there's a beautiful virus. The church is meant to be the beautiful virus. The viral movement of revival and life that starts here and that can't be stopped. No mask can stop it. It spreads beyond these walls and, and impacts the community, families, lives, everyone. Which is, that is the viral movement called revival, and that is what we desperately, desperately need the church in America to be again. Open your Bibles to to First Thessalonians, chapter one. 1 Thessalonians, chapter one. Now, um, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to preach for two hours, but I am going to try to preach a tour through the book of First Thessalonians, uh, and we'll, we'll hit some highlights. But I'm going to see if I can take us through the whole book. Just a tour of the message of the book. Now, why is that important to us in this time and season? Let me tell you why. Uh, I was studying 1 Thessalonians back last November. And I found something out I had never known before about this book. And it rocked my world and, and caused me to, to begin word by word studying this to the point that, that Pastor Tim, if you want to, uh, you can take your small groups through a Bible study we'll have out in probably next month. I'm called Revive and Restart, uh, verse by verse through 1 Thessalonians on video. Uh, my wife's doing the study material. We are so excited about it, and I'm gonna give you a little bit of a taste of that today. Let me tell you what it is God showed me that rocked my world. I've read this book, I don't know how many times, I love the book of 1 Thessalonians. So many wonderful passages in this book. I kind of, I kind of assumed that these were folks that had known the Lord a long time. It looks that way when you first read it, but here's the shocker. When Paul wrote the letter we call 1 Thessalonians, the Thessalonian believers had been followers of Jesus for somewhere around six months maximum of nine, it may have been less than six, but no more than that. I won't go into how we know all that. We know all that from some historical references in here and where Paul was. He's now in Corinth writing this letter. And, and these are his dear friends. And, and he, he was so desperate to know how they were. They had become like his church, his family. He had sent Timothy back to check on them. Timothy had come back and said, man, the things we're hearing all out there in the world, they're all true. And Paul wrote this letter, excited about what God was doing. Because in six months time, listen to this, in six months time, a group of new believers who had just met Jesus were rocking their world with the gospel to the point that Paul, we'll read it in a second, Paul said, he's kind of being humorous, you know, maybe you guys would let us preach a little bit. Every time we go, we hear about the gospel spreading from Thessalonica, where you are, all across the nation of Greece and even beyond. Six months time. No cell phones, no internet, nothing. Through word of mouth and the power of the Spirit of God in them, their nation was changed. Let's see, anybody think of another nation these days that might could need some change in the next six months? I think I know of one. In fact, I think I know of one that if we don't see revival in this nation, somewhere in the months ahead, there's no hope for us as a nation left. There's just not. But there is great hope because the beautiful virus of revival could start in you and spread to this nation. First Thessalonians chapter one. Let's read verses six through eight. Paul says, you became imitators of. Of us and of the Lord. You received the word in much affliction. It wasn't easy for them. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now. What is he talking about? What kind of affliction? And and, and how do you have joy in the midst of affliction? Let me tell you what was going on in the city of Thessalonica. This will be interesting to you. Uh, As the gospel came there, it was so unpopular that um, the new disciples, so unpopular among the leaders, the new disciples, um, they they were isolated. They had to hide. They were being persecuted. So in essence, many of these believers were quarantined. But... The gospel couldn't be quarantined and it began to spread. And even while Paul was there, things got so radical that riots broke out in the city. But within the church, they had a big problem they had to address. Because there was racial conflict and they didn't quite know what to do about it. It didn't seem like there'd be any hope for two races that believed if you touched one another, you would be unclean. And suddenly they were in one body of believers as brothers and sisters and had to find their way forward into racial unity. So let's see. They had uh, racial divisions, isolation and quarantine, riots in the street. Uh, Sorry, the Bible doesn't apply to us today, but we'll just make the best of it. okay? And Paul says in the midst of all that, you still had joy. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia. Do not forget that word example. I want to point that something out in a moment. And in Achaia, this is northern Greece. He says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith has gone forth everywhere. He said, he's talking about everywhere they had been. They couldn't go anywhere without hearing about the revival in Thessalonica. He said, so so that we need not say anything. Paul's going, you know, we're preachers. Hey, guys, maybe you let us preach a little bit. Everywhere we go, they've already heard the gospel because it's spreading everywhere from you. How powerful is that? How encouraging is that? There's no, There's no pandemic that can stop the viral spread of the gospel. The only people that can stop it are the people that are supposed to spread it, and that's us. We're the only plan Jesus has ever had. The church is the only plan He's had. And sick and weak though we may be, we are still His plan. And if we are revived by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can see in six months' time the same thing and more that the Thessalonians saw. Now, definition of revival. I know this thing is breaking up a little bit. And if y'all need to hand me a handheld or anything, you can do that. But if it works, this will be fine. Um, I, we um we need to understand what we're after when we're seeking revival. The Bible is just God's precious treasure, and we need to make sure that we are um, that we're searching for it in the right place and we're searching for it in the right way. Uh, I, this is a pretty serious message, but I, I like to laugh. I just, the Thessalonians had joy. Let me tell you a funny story. Um, during the pandemic, man, I'm just not made to sit at home. And I thought, well, I figure out some new things to do with my time. We live in an area that had some civil war history, so I got a metal detector. And I went out, you know, looking for stuff, and I found some pretty cool stuff out 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 there around our country, the country where we live. But um, uh, I was studying the area where we live, and I found out that it's actually um, in many uh, two hundred years ago, the area was called Vancouver. Now nobody knows why this East Tennessee place is called Vancouver, but it was very interesting to me. So I did a little research, and one day my my grandchildren were there, and I said, uh, I said, Hey, did you know? this is the lost city of Vancouver and I'll pause there you want to hand me one ah okay everybody just take a little break here for a minute and we shall we shall switch out here let's see How's it on side, side. all
0: right well
1: put that on how's that can y'all hear me we good hey alright All right. thank you lord ok so found out this area we live is what used to be called Vancouver told my grandchildren this is the lost city of Vancouver uh, oh wow! Well. and one of them went hey I wonder if there's buried treasure out here I got a metal detector now and I thought, oh, it's time for fun with the grandchildren. So I got some coins that I had actually found on a mission, that i actually gotten on a mission trip, some old coins from uh, Central Asia, all right, and they don't look like anything you would normally see. And I put them in a little pouch and I buried them out in the yard. And I said, let's go look for treasure. My grandkids are out there. And, oh, it's going off. They're digging for it. They're dancing around the yard. We found treasure. We found treasure. We found treasure. You know, and we're just having fun. It's just imaginary fun until our granddaughter takes it to school for show and tell. Or show and tell on the school on Zoom. So her teacher's on there. She's on the Zoom call. They're doing show and tell. And she says, my my grandfather lives on the lost city of Vancouver. And he took us treasure hunting and we found this treasure in the lost city of Vancouver. She's holding up these coins that look for all the world like something from another planet or age or something. The teacher's going, you're, you actually found that buried on your, where? And so we had to do a little talk with the, with the teacher. But, uh, and i learned a little bit about being careful with, uh, fooling your grandchildren. But, but he, here, here's what I think. I think that when we, when we talk about revival, we are dangerously close to looking for treasure in the wrong place. For instance, if you if you drive by a church and you see a sign that says revival, what do you know is happening there? Probably a series of services. A series of ser- series of services has nothing to do with the revival. There are churches today having services and they'll have another one next week and another one the next. They don't even believe the Bible. They can call it revival all day long and there's not going to be any revival. So if we're going to look for God's treasure, if we're going to pursue God's treasure of revival, let's make sure we know what it is, right? All right, so let me give you a definition. This is really new to me. This comes out of a book called Longing for Revival. And I've I've shortened it a little bit, but I want to tell you, I think this may be the best definition of revival I've ever heard, and I've heard a lot of them. Here's what we're after. Revival is a season of breakthroughs. In word, deed, and power, creating a new normal. Now, let's, let's get this. Revival is not one service. It's a season of breakthroughs. Revival can begin in your heart today and take you into a season of breakthroughs. But it's always going to be based on the word. If it's it's not from the Word, it's not revival. And and it's then it's going to change the way we live. It's indeed, it's not just the way we feel, it's the way we live. And, and And it's also going to come from the power of God. Revival is supernatural. It's unexplainable. You look around and you go, how in the world did this happen? I couldn't have done it. Pastor couldn't have done it. This is only God doing it. And that creates a new normal. So the new normal for Thessalonica changed the city, changed the nation, got the attention of the Apostle Paul. The same thing can happen again. But here's what scares me. What I'm hearing a lot in the church in America is, when are we going to get back to normal? My prayer is never. Because normal was killing us in the church in America. Killing us. We don't need the old normal. We need the new normal. We need the beautiful, viral movement called revival. And for that to happen, well, if we're going to follow the course of the Thessalonians, we have to be examples Now, this may rock your world right here. The word word example. I was studying it in this personal study of 1 Thessalonians. And I realized this is a picture word in the New Testament. It's used in another place, for instance, in a way that shows what the picture of the word really is. It's used in John chapter 20, verse 25, of the guy we call Doubting Thomas. You remember what happens there? remember? Thomas missed seeing Jesus alive after the resurrection. And he was so upset. And he said, unless I see the nail prints, unless I touch them, the nail prints in his hands, I will not believe. And then he did. And then he did. And the word for nail print is the same word used here in 1 Thessalonians of an example. Paul said to the Thessalonian church, You've become the nail prints of Jesus. You've become the evidence that the gospel is real. That's why it's spreading everywhere. Revival makes us the evidence of the reality of the gospel. And now you, if you want to, you can be the nail prints of Jesus. Now, I want to make this as, as practical as I can. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not spiritual enough or smart enough to not need to know some choices. My flesh creeps up too much. If I don't just have some choices, I can make them or I cannot make them. God is sovereignly in His Word shown us the responses that when we respond to Him, He moves. He loves us, He's sovereign, He always begins the move of His Spirit, and He's shown us in the Word. If we, if we make these choices, then, then He will respond and move in power. So I want to show you three of them that the Thessalonians made, and we get to choose. I don't think God is stingy. You choose the way the Thessalonians did. He'll revive you. In fact, I think, as we'll see in the last of this book, I think that's his promise. Choice number one, love the church more than the chase. Love the church more than the chase. You know, our life pre-COVID for many Christians was just about the chase. And church was, the church was part of the chase. You know, we'd come and hang out at church, you know, every now and then, every other week or so. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't our life. It was just a part of our, of our normal chase. But we're after success and career and making sure our kids are happy and successful and, and all of these things. For very few believers could you look at their life and say, you know what? This man, this woman, this young person, Jesus is his life. Jesus is her life. But that's the only life the scripture shows us that really is the life of following Jesus. Paul was a God chaser and a church lover. I want to go to chapter 2 now and show you what Paul said about the church. Chapter 2, verse 17. Since we were torn away from you, brothers, the, the word means orphaned. Paul said, being away from you is like being an orphan for a short time in person, not in heart. We endeavored the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? You, the church of Thessalonica. Our church family, Paul said. You are our glory and our joy. Nobody abandons their glory or their joy. Nobody checks out from their glory or their joy. A third of American active believers are not coming back because the church never was their glory or their joy. How many people have you ever heard say, you know, something like, well, I believe in God, I love God, I just don't care anything about the church. Let me tell you, I'm so grateful to have this beautiful woman with me today. We just celebrated our 40th anniversary, by the way. And um, I, was, I was preaching on, on the day of our 40th anniversary. Uh, What what kind of incredible woman lets her husband preach on their 40th anniversary? Well, the woman who knows this is our life. This is our calling. This is the center of who we are. Now, if you come up to me afterwards, we'll be back there at the book table. You come up to us to talk. And you say, you know what? I really love you. Man, I love your preaching. I love you as a person. But I do not like your wife. And you slap her. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm a preacher. But I'm going to take you out. I'm going to take you flat out. You know why? Because that is my bride. And you hurt her, you hurt me. You hate her, you hate me. The church is the bride of Jesus. And you can't love him and not love his church. And so it's pretty simple to me. I don't want to be mean. But everybody today that's like, oh, I don't need the church anymore. I'm checking out from there. You just, you just don't love Jesus. Maybe you once did and you drifted away. Maybe you never really did. But if you love Jesus, you love His bride. You love His people. You love the church. Doesn't mean that the church is what it should be. (laughs) No, it's not even close to what it should be. But we love the church even in its brokenness. I want to ask you a tough question. Before COVID, what did it take to keep you from worship? What did it take to keep you from your small group? If you don't have one, I could go into a whole other reason why you hadn't really been loving Jesus. You can't you can't love Jesus and not actually love His people, and you don't love His people by just sitting in a, in, in a crowd of people. So you've got to be a part of a small group of believers that gives you that kind of community. So so what did it take before COVID to keep you from worship or to keep you from? You're a small group. Maybe maybe you're... Are we online? Are we online today? Maybe some of you are watching online. Maybe you don't have any major risk for COVID and you ought to be here. What's it keeping you from being here? What is it? You know what Paul said it took him to keep him from the church of Thessalonica? Satan. For us, it's been, you know, mama comes over for dinner, we got sports to go to, travel ball with the kids, as if a bouncy ball is more important than our our our, our kids' spiritual life. We, all those things have kept us from the people of God. Paul said it took Satan to keep him. So make the decision. What do you love more? The chase of life, which is going to be over really, really soon. Do you ever really think about how really tenuous and insignificant this life is apart from Jesus? And what's the name of your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather? Absolutely nobody in this room knows, right? You might have it on paper somewhere if you've done a, uh, you've done some kind of a look, but 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 what 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 is their life impact at this moment? It, nobody, it, it's their their children and grandchildren after them, but nobody knows their name. Nobody cares about their name. Their life came and it's gone. They're in heaven or they're in hell. And your life is going to come and it's going to be gone. And you're going to be in heaven or you're going to be in hell. And when you close your eyes on this earth, you're not going to go. Man, I wish I had driven a better car. Wow, I wish I'd helped my kid get just a little better batting average. Maybe they'd had a scholarship. None of that's going to matter anymore. But what you did about Jesus and His bride will matter to you a billion years from now. Make your decision. Do you love the church? Do you love the bride of Christ? What's that going to mean to you? Church is not going to look the same post-COVID. It's not. What it will look like will be up to us and God. God sovereignly calls us back to himself. If we return, he will revive us and the church in this country will become a powerhouse of revival and mission and evangelism or will waste away and the Lord will continue to move the center of the church to the, to the third world as he's been doing now for decades. Do we really want to live the rest of our life in this country watching what God does somewhere else? The only hope for this country is revival and the only hope for that to happen Happen is in our hearts. Make your choice. Love the church or love the chase. Here's choice number two, and um, this one's pretty challenging. Um you gotta love God's plan of suffering more than a place of safety. You gotta love God's plan of suffering more than a place of safety. In chapter three, verse one, Paul says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. Before he was in Corinth. Paul was in Athens. And from there, he says, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. He said, we know you're suffering. We know there's riots and isolation and persecution. But he says, for you yourselves, know we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. In other words, Paul said, why are you freaking out? If he was speaking to us today, he would say, oh, you've got a virus. Some people die from it. You may die from it. I may die from it. Probably not, but we might. Paul says, you've got affliction. You've got government doing weird things that appear to be the beginning of serious persecution of the church. You've got all kinds of turmoil in the streets. You've got people that have never learned how to love each other across racial division. you got all of this, Paul would say. And you're surprised because of what? I told you. We're not in heaven. This is not heaven. And you're going to have these afflictions. The American dream has been a, an okay way to found a country. But it's a terrible way to live your Christian life. The pursuit of happiness is bound to end at some point. I've never known you know, anybody that was happy to get a cancer diagnosis or happy about you know, heart disease. You know, I mean, the pursuit of happiness cannot be the goal of our life. Paul said, you're destined for this. Jesus said it, by the way. When Paul said you're destined for this, by the way, you know the word destined? Uh, Jesus also used in Matthew chapter 5, 14 of the church. He said, you are a city set on a hill. The word set is the same word used here for destined. Jesus said, you're destined to be up there on the hill, not hiding in your basement. You've got to be out where people can see you and know you and, and, and watch your touch their lives. And there's no asterisk in times of suffering. As you've heard me preach before, you know I'm a a tremendous fan of what God's doing across the world. We're in the greatest days of awakening, I think, in the history of the world. You just have to get on a plane to see it. And the pandemic has not stopped it. For instance, in the nation of Iran, do you know? The fastest growing part of the church in in the world today is Iran. Just a few decades ago, there were maybe a hundred Christians in the whole country. There may be a million or maybe a lot more than that. It's hard to even get accurate information. What we know is the mosques are emptying, the underground churches are filling, and the people of God are serving Jesus no matter what. In fact, right now, you know what they're doing? They like, they like, they like these. I've got friends there and contacts there. You know why they like these? You put this on and the government can't tell who you are. They are not hiding in their basement. They put on their masks and they go and they minister to their brothers and their sisters and they go and they share the gospel and the revival continues. But let me point something out to you. We talk a lot about these stories in the church in Iran. But in the church in Iran, every time they meet, they endanger themselves, they endanger their family, they endanger their friends, they endanger everybody that knows them. Every time they meet. Why do they still meet? Why are they still the church? Why are they not hiding in their basements? Because they have already made their decision. They have already died with Christ. And now the life they live with Him is no longer the life they live in the flesh. They're not living it themselves. Galatians 2.20 It's Jesus who lives in them and through them. And since they've already died, they're not going to let a virus stop them from living and from serving Jesus. Now what am I saying? We ought to just throw caution to the wind and rip off our masks and 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 crowd up as much as we. I'm not saying that at all. I don't know about you. I had hand sanitizer before COVID. You know, shake a thousand hands on a Sunday, not spread because people have germs and I'd like to not get sick. There's nothing wrong with being cautious. Of course not. I carry a mask everywhere I go. I want to protect people. I, I want to do what I can to be safe. But I'm going to tell you something tough right here. If safety is your first priority, you can't follow Jesus. Because Jesus, not me, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And I have never seen a safe cross. There's never been one. Crosses are dangerous and risky. So what do we do? Put on the mask, do whatever we need to do. But we must be the church. We must worship. We must study the word. And then we must go on mission together. Because that's what the church does. And the whole time, we got to do it with joy. This is amazing, y'all. Do you know that all of us are sitting here, having heard the gospel and knowing Jesus because of two global pandemics. Christian historians, Rodney Stark and others, have researched this. We researched it in our doctoral work at Southwestern Seminary. In the, uh, oh, around 150 and then around 250, about 100 years apart, kind of like now in the Spanish flu, there were two plagues. These plagues, they didn't look anything like coronavirus. Nothing like coronavirus. Um, nobody knows what they were. We hope God please. These are not viruses that were returned one day, because um, the one in 250 looked something like smallpox combined with uh, Ebola, and we have vivid descriptions of the way people died, and you will, you do not want to hear them. And they were it was so contagious that 5,000 people a day were dying in Rome. They didn't understand germs, but they knew to get away. They knew that if you were around people, maybe it was spirits, possession, something. They didn't know. They just knew you got sick and you died. Romans didn't have much of a, a of a family ethic, and so they would take their sick children. They would take them to the center of the street, which was the gutter and the sewer, to where you'd dump your. They didn't run running water. You'd dump your toilet bucket in the middle of the street, down in the sewer. It ran downhill, and they would put their children there in the sewer. Crying, begging, sick, and dying, and they would flee the city. Meanwhile, pastors like Dionysius, we actually have his words, the lead pastor of the church in North Africa, where their very first Christian martyrs were by the way, not Rome, but North Africa, and Dionysius, as he witnessed these horrible things happen, this is what he said, we declare a festival! He said, only us as followers of Jesus declare festivals during a plague. He said, because now is the time for joy. Now is the time and the power of the Holy Spirit to go and love and serve and heal and let everyone see Jesus in us. If they haven't noticed before, they can't help but notice now. And so while the Romans and the North Africans fled... The followers of Jesus went to the sewers and they took the children, pagan children to themselves. They adopted them. They nursed them. Many of them got supernaturally healed. And when the Romans returned to their city months later, they found their children living healthy in Christian homes. What would you do? They converted by the thousands and hundreds of thousands of And had that not happened, historians believe that our faith would have died another Jewish sect in Rome. But because of a pandemic, and the church in the midst of it, declaring festival, living like the Thessalonians, joy and affliction. Eventually, the gospel came to you. Every time you thank God for your salvation... Remember that it made its way to you on the pathway of pandemic. So who's going to know Jesus because of this one? What church is going to rise up because of this pandemic and be the church like no other ever has? Who in this city is going to experience revival and show forth festival to those who are suffering and those who are hurting? Who's even going to take it across racial lines like they did in Thessalonica? Who's going to know somebody that's a different color from you, well enough to grieve with them? You know, I've given up trying to make arguments and make cases. and and explain why what I think is right and why this ought to happen or that happened. And here, here's how we stop riots. And here's what we do about, about racism. You know, there's so many people doing that right now. I don't think my voice is really needed for that. You know what I think we're called to do right now? Know somebody who doesn't look like us well enough to grieve with them. Because if they're hurting, I don't really care why or whether they got the right philosophy or they're right or I'm right. If I love them and they're hurting, I want to grieve with them and help heal their hurt. What do you think would happen if the Church of Jesus Christ in America started approaching each other that way across racial lines? I don't have any doubt what would happen. We'd see a massive revival and nobody would even know what was happening. They'd have to come and look and see. But we can choose. Our own place of safety. Where can we hide? Where can we find it? Or God's plan of suffering, which ultimately is best for us. Last choice, love faith more than you hate fear. Faith is the opposite of fear. and There's a lot of fear right now. But you know what what I'm most afraid of? I bet some of you are the same way. I'm, I'm not so afraid of this virus. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. It's real. I have friends that have it at this very moment. Um, other viruses are real too. This is just a new way that a very small percentage of people affected die. And it may be the way I die. Maybe the way you die. I, I don't know. But what I'm afraid of is not living. I'm afraid of not living. I'm afraid of the unknown. I'm afraid of our team's being canceled again and not being able to do what God has given. I, I struggle every day with that fear of the unknown. But, but Paul said in chapter 3, I want your faith to be established. Established so it can't be shaken even by suffering and affliction. I want your faith to be exhorted, he said, which is a Holy Spirit word, paraclete. I want the Spirit of God to come beside you and walk with you so that you live by faith and not by fear. And either faith or fear is going to go viral from this church and from your life. Which one? If it's faith that goes viral, then you as a church can become the beautiful virus of revival. The next time fear comes your way, look it in the eye. Don't embrace it. Don't run from it. Look it in the eye. Stare it down and say, I recognize you. But there's no fear in perfect love. I recognize you. And you have no power over me in the name of Jesus. Choose faith over fear. I told you I'd take you through the whole book of Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, you're going, we're just in chapter 3. That's okay. I can take you through chapter 4 and chapter 5 real quick. Here it is. Chapter 4 and chapter 5 say this to us. Jesus Christ is coming again. That's it. That's the message of chapter 4 and chapter 5. He is coming again. This virus will come to an end. Every heartache, every tear, every sadness and sorrow is coming to an end. And the rest of this book teaches us what do we do now. And what we do now is we serve, we love, we worship, we come together, and we join the mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost. That's our choice. Two of those Iranian believers were able to escape Iran, a husband and wife, year before last. And I heard the story last year. They came to America and they could not wait. All they wanted to do was get in our churches because they were free to worship. They didn't have to hide anymore. Every day they could find something happening in a church, a worship service, a Bible study. They went for two months. And after two months in American churches, the wife turned to her husband and said these words, and they're among the saddest words I've ever heard spoken. She said, there's a demonic lullaby playing in the churches of this country. She said, the Christians here are sleepy. She said, now I'm getting sleepy. She said, let's go home. And they chose to return to Iran because they would rather have persecution with revival than freedom without it. I want to ask you, Do you love Jesus? Do you? Do you remember when Jesus said to Peter, after that time of leaving him alone, quarantined, isolated on the cross, Jesus said, do you love me? Oh, you know I do. You know what Jesus really said? Show me. You told me that before, Peter. You told me. I'll never deny you. Now show me, feed my sheep. Do you love Jesus? Do you long for revival in your own heart? Don't worry about anybody else. Don't even worry about your church. Worry about your own heart. Do you long for what God will do in your heart? Church in America has been slow dancing to that demonic lullaby a long time. And then God, he just shut off our music. But he's not left us. He's still here. And now he's inviting us to a new song. The old song is done. The old song is, is over. And the church as we knew it is no more. The question is now. Will we keep singing our old song? Will we go try to, back and try to sing the old song? Or sing our own song? Or could it be? Could it be? That we might sing the song of the king. Could it be that He even invites us to sing in harmony with Him? God showed me something this week that I want to finish with. I just started telling my wife about it today because I, I, this morning because I, I wanted to research it and be sure before I said it. You know what the last thing Jesus did for His disciples was before He went to Gethsemane? He said the Lord's Supper, right? No. He washed their feet. Yeah, that's close, but no. He prayed over them. Yes, he did. John 17. But the very last thing that Jesus did for his disciples before he went to Gethsemane to begin the journey of suffering and death for their sin was that he sang over them. You say, what? I don't remember that in the Bible. Yeah, both in Matthew and Mark it tells us that as they left the upper room, they sang a hymn. D.A. Carson, incredible theologian, has researched this. and They didn't just sing a hymn. Let me tell you what happened. When you had the Passover dinner with a rabbi, as he ended it, he would choose a passage from somewhere between Psalm 114 and, and 118. To end the Passover meal. And he would sing it. And he would sing it in short verses. And those with him would respond in song. Hallelujah. So Jesus, the great king. Who was about to die for them. Opens the scroll of the word of God. The Psalms. They're not meant to be read. They're meant to be sung. Maybe he selected this passage. And maybe his last words over his best friends went something like this. Singing rather than speaking. He would have said, open to me the gates of righteousness. That I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. And his friends say Hallelujah. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Hallelujah. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad Hallelujah. Save us. We pray, O Lord. And they would have sung, Hallelujah, not yet fully realizing that the one they had asked to save them was standing before them and was about to die to take away their sins and save them. Jesus sings over his friends. And he calls us his friends. And if we want to, we can join his new song and sing the song of the beautiful virus of revival. You want to hear that song? Stand up with me and I'll show it to you. Verse 23 and verse 24. The last words of this book before he in essence just gives his greetings and says goodbye. This, scholars believe, was actually a song of the early church. I don't know how it went. Maybe something like this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. Would you just sing that any way you want? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Sing that. He will surely do it. Sing that together. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Jesus, that is your song, not mine, not ours. You wrote it into your word. You made it your promised song to us. Now we're ready to receive it. He who calls is faithful. You have not left us alone in a pandemic. And what you have said in this book, everything you have said to us today, you will do it unless we decide we'd like to do it ourselves. If instead we run to you and truly love you, heart, mind, soul, and strength, neighbor is self, love your church more than any chase in our lives, choose even suffering over safety, reject faith, reject fear in favor of faith if we if we will then we will be able to sing the song of revival with you and hear you sing over us he who calls you is faithful and he will do it Lord I ask that right now that you would do your word in our lives in this moment As we open up this time to respond to you, move in mighty power in us. For we ask it in the name of Christ. This altar is open. I know it's hot in here. But I want to ask you, if you need revival, would you be willing to come and kneel here or stand here Whatever the Lord tells you to do, just for a moment, and I'm gonna pray over you. That's it. I'm gonna pray that God today would be faithful and do what He promised in your life. Nobody else is in your life. I'm gonna wait on you just a moment. You just come. You come kneel here, you come stand here, and I'm gonna pray over you. And He who has called you is faithful, and He will do it. He will revive you today. Who wants that revival? Who wants that move of God in your heart and life? Come.